Today we're wrapping up our series on Malachi. It has been an absolutely fabulous uh, series. I, I'm just really grateful to Al Robert for suggesting that idea for the study for the fall after the book of James. And, and it's just become way more than even I expected um, or could have anticipated. Many of you have come up to me and, and, or emailed me and, and talked about the personal impact that this has had uh, during this series and uh, as we've gone through the book. And it's just been a great joy. Great joy to study it, uh, to dig deeply into his thoughts, Malachi's, and the heart behind what he said. It's kind of sad. It's like leaving an old friend every time you end up a series, right? It's just that sort of thing. So we're going to wrap that up this morning. And uh, it's going to be exciting because as we roll from Malachi, next week we're going to roll into the Christmas series. And uh, it's going to be Unexpected Grace. And uh, Rob is actually going to kick off the series next Sunday. And so he's going to start for us. And then we'll, we'll roll on there into December. And uh, so that should be a lot of fun. And uh, Malachi, so we're going to jump from Malachi, we're going to jump that whole 400 years of silence, right? And we're going to go right into the greatest prophetic fulfillment the world has ever seen. The coming of the announced one, the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Lord Jesus to rescue and save us from our sins. And so it, we will roll into the Christmas season. And, and it seems kind of in an unusual way. I don't know if this has been your vibe or what you've picked up, but somehow this year it seems that people in an unusual way are really ready for and excited about Christmas. There just seems to be something going on where people are really anticipating not, not all the gifts and stuff, but just the season. Just what the Lord does, what it means, and, and the carols and that kind of stuff. And it seems to be uh, something that people are echoing. And so our theme this year will echo that unexpected grace. That's going to be the theme as we roll into the series. We'll have more on that in the weeks to come. But for today, we'll close out our study on Malachi. And we'll be celebrating communion together at the end of, of the service. So welcome to join into that and prepare your hearts for that. So... Let's wrap up Malachi in great fashion. Uh, would you join me in prayer as we approach our Heavenly Father for the wisdom that only He can give? Father, thanks. This is an exciting morning for us. We are exhausted. Um, we are tired. I know I ache. I lifted more stuff yesterday than uh, it was just wild. And Lord, we hustled and we, we, we busted our tail for the sake of people we don't even know. And it was a delight. And we just want to give that to you and say it was a, a privilege to serve you. It was a privilege to be your hands and feet. Uh, that verse where you say, give to people who can't give anything back to you, just echoed and resonated last night. It was because of you and what you've done in our life. And uh, we hope we reflected that well. And it was a great joy, not only to the people who came, but to you as our dad as well. That's our real hope. And so as we come into Malachi, Lord, and, and we wrap this up, it's been such a great study. Obviously, you've illuminated things in it by your spirit. Uh, you've pointed things out. You've had conversations with people. It's struck and resonated with us. We want to be that group that listened. We want to be that group that uh, wrote in that book of remembrance and, and took you seriously. And so we give the closing to you this morning and ask for your favor in your name. Amen. All right. 
So Malachi chapter, we're going to do chapter 4 this morning, all right? The whole chapter, it's just a couple verses, and they're powerful. It starts out with this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, and so it shall leave them neither root nor branch. That's kind of really positive, right? Kicking off. This is called the great and terrible day of the Lord. And we're going to look at this through chapter 4 this morning. Uh, I wanted to, uh, I was going to try and get some of the video footage of the California wildfires. I, I think if you go online, you can get, it just got to be too hard with all the stuff going to get something up on the screen. But let me see if I can leave you with a, a, a mental image this morning that might help us understand the power and the fury of those fires. Some of the walls of fire were 150 feet high. They estimated in one place in a canyon they were leaping as high as 400 feet high. So if you can imagine, though, a wall of fire 150 feet high moving at this speed, um, they were gobbling up with the 80-mile-an-hour winds behind them, right, that were kind of pushing that thing, that they were consuming three football fields, area of football fields, Per minute. So like when you're watching the game this afternoon, you think, just think of three of those football fields being erased in a minute. Right? It, was, it was just absolutely blowing. It was acting more like a blowtorch than a fire. Right? It was just annihilating anything in its path. This is the exact same imagery that Malachi is painting when he talks about the return of the Lord, when he's talking about uh, Jesus coming back. He says that it's a picture of all-consuming fire. This gives a whole new meaning to the phrase, I'm going to light you up. thought I'd throw a little humor in here. Okay, hello. Be a little awake with me. There we go, right? In effect, what God's going to say is he's saying, I'm going to turn evildoers and wickedness into stubble. It's actually going to be so intense that not only will there not be any branches left, there's not going to be any roots left either. In other words, the fire will burn and leave it to ashes. Even the roots in the ground will be uh, consumed. That's a pretty intense fire. We saw this picture earlier in Malachi in chapter 3 where the Messiah's appearance would be like a refiner's fire. Let's go back and remind ourselves what that said. It says, But who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire or like the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. In other words, the fire is designed to clean and purify uh, the motives and hearts of people who are serving God so that they bring right sacrifices. We showed that little video. If you weren't here, we had a a video of actually a, a refiner's fire. It was a small furnace that... This guy had built and he chopped up a whole tub full of aluminum cans and then poured the aluminum cans in that fire and we just watched the whole thing melt down. And what was interesting is it melted down then on the top was all this dross, just this extra stuff that really wasn't any good. And he would take the scoop, take the dross out, and then he poured out these three bricks of aluminum, right, that became pure aluminum, no longer pop cans, they're now pure aluminum again. And we looked at the intensity of that heat And that's the picture that Malachi is using here when he talks about the refiner's fire. He's talking about a forge or a furnace where that stuff 
gets melted down like that. And uh, the Bible says that his eyes, when he returns, are like a flaming fire, like a furnace set full of blaze. Right? So we're, we're talking about an incredible intensity here. Look at Malachi 4.1 again. It says, For behold, the day is coming. Take those images now and put this in the verse. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. This is obviously something you want to avoid. This is something that if there's an out, if there's a way to bypass this, if there's a way to escape this, you would want to do that. And that's why Scripture sets before us, escape to the Lord Jesus. Run to Him. Run to this source. It, it sounds counterintuitive, like you would run away from the fire, but it actually says run to Him and come under His protection and His covering, because in that then you will be saved. All right? And we said that we will either meet Him as Savior or we will meet him as judge. And so uh, the question here, when you're talking about this kind of intensity, is uh, who can stand in front of his presence? Um, One of the things I've often heard uh, that when I first came to know the Lord is that, uh, Steve, your picture of God will often be too small. And you've got to make it bigger. He's, He's bigger than what we realize most of the time. And the question is, when we have these kind of images, who can stand in that kind of presence? Who can actually, uh, you know, counter it? Uh, who can, in the, Malachi says, who can endure the day of his coming? Earlier in the series, we looked at the resurrected Christ and his appearance, remember, in Revelation with John, his best friend. And when John, his best buddy, saw the resurrected Christ, he said it fell down like a dead man. If that's what happens to his best friend, what happens to the rest of us? Right? It gives you a little bit of a contrast there. I know we're his children. I know he loves us. I know he's his father. But we're talking about the power side here. It's, it's intense. It's intimidating. And what's interesting is when you read these passages, what's interesting is the contrast between those who have kicked towards God and those who have kicked away from God. Remember we talked about that last week? There's a group that kicks towards God and then there's a group that kicks away from God. Very same thing, very same, uh, you know, invites and very same warnings uh, kick one group away from God and kicks another group towards God. And we, we took a look at that. And uh, for those who have kicked away, the descriptions are like this one, a raging fire that devours, a furnace that melts, a presence so intense that uh, we read in Scripture, they crawl under rocks and into caves to get away from his presence. And they cry out, who can save us from the power of the Lamb? So it's, it's a lot of interesting mixes of pictures. Like, you don't think of a lamb as intense, right? And yet he's called a blazing furnace. So there's these amazing mixed metaphors of Scripture trying to convey. And what that tells you is human language kind of fails. Uh, we... We have certain kind of pictures that get us in the ballpark. They give us an idea, but they fail to fully communicate what the reality is. And if you've ever read Scripture, you're fully aware of that. If you've ever talked to somebody who's had an experience with God, they're trying to put words to it, and it kind of comes out like blah, 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 right? Because the, the, the human language fails at that point. 
That's what we're running into here. But it says, so that's what happens for those who kick away from God. But for those who kick towards God, it says this, this very same furnace, this very same oven, this very same raging fire uh, is called life and light and joy. Isn't that an amazing contrast? Uh, it says its radiance makes life unbelievably spectacular. That the light which burns up the arrogant and the wicked is seen as healing for those who've kicked towards God and will give them amazing energy. It's, it's an incredible contrast. Look at one of the descriptions given in the Psalms. This is Psalm 28, or I'm sorry, Psalm 21, verses 8 through 10. I, I'm, I, I finished reading through the Bible, and so I'm uh, in the Psalms for the day and the proverb for the day, right? So I'm picking up these things, gleaning as I go along. It says this, Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. In other words, nothing can escape the searchlight of God. Okay. It says you will make them as a blaze. There's this description again. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring among the children of man. That kind of imagery should grab somebody's heart and go, man, I do not want to face that. I need to run. Where's the rescue spot? Where's the out from that? And what Scripture tells us, the out is Jesus. This imagery, you find it all over Scripture. And it gives rise to the old hellfire and brimstone sermons that many of us grew up with, right? And we remember in the 50s and 60s and 70s, that kind of thing, way back in the day, right? And uh, if you laughed, you just gave your age away. And, uh, but we can laugh at that or you know, pass it off as old school religion or the old people, that's the way they did it kind of thing. But don't miss the point. They were trying to communicate something that there is an ultimate reality that is to be avoided at all costs. That we have to live our lives in such a way. They were trying to communicate something really important. Here's what they were trying to communicate. No man, no beast, no government, no army, no strategy, no cunning, no plan, no defiance is going to be able to oppose the Lord, be able to oppose that presence in coming. It will come like a burning oven and consume everything in its path. It's trying to tell us nothing can stand against that. So you either oppose it as an, al- you oppose it as an enemy or, like a smart person, you come under the authority of that and you, you, you duck the flame. You think that um, people would respond to that. You either meet him as Lord or you meet him as judge, which is why God, through his Father heart, pleads with everyone, please turn back to me. Come to me now. Come to me as Father. Let me rescue you. You need to be rescued. You're lost. You don't know it. Let me, let me take hold of you. Let me grab you. Let me save you. Psalm 81, though, kind of gives the overall assessment. It says, but my people did not listen to my voice. These are such sad passages when you realize all that God's done. My people did not listen to my voice. You can just hear his heart, right? Israel would not submit to me, and so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts 
to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and I would turn my hand against their foes. But what's the epitaph? But they would not listen. They would not soften. They would not bend their heart. God longs for his people to return to him. We're going to talk about this some in the Christmas series. And again, these types of passages, you can find these types of passages all throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament. You hear his heart. Why won't you trust me? Why won't you come under my authority? It also it carries the really scary promise that's echoed in Romans 1, which says this, if you don't, I'll let you have what you want, and what you want will destroy you. It says, so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsel. I let them have what they wanted, and then what they wanted chewed them up. But we also talked last week, again, that there was a group that listened. Here's, here's the good side. There was a group that listened. And we want to be that group. We want to be a group that the Lord can say, you know what, there's a whole bunch of people in the United States that are turning away from me, but there's that group in Mill Creek. At Northview Community Church, they listen. We won't be the only ones. There will be many of us. But we want to be one of those groups that listen. It says they took the Lord seriously. They wrote this book of remembrance. And that group, for that group, the outcome is completely different. Look at verses 2 and 3 in Malachi chapter 4. But for, for you who fear my name, okay, this is good. This is celebration. This is Christmas right here. Okay, for those who would fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. That same blaze of glory that incinerates the opponents of God is called the Son of Righteousness here in, this, in these verses. And it heals those who come in contact with it. Is that not fascinating or what? The very same exact presence in one group of people incinerates it and another group of people heals it. And it's the same presence. The description of calves leaping or skipping out of the stall might not make sense for us, but I grew up on a farm in Wisconsin. It makes great sense to me. Uh, when you had calves, a lot of times they were born in winter, and you'd put them in pens, right? And they stayed in pens because they'd go all over the place and get in trouble. So you just put them in pens. But when spring came around, when the grass came out, you'd take those pens out and you'd open the stalls and you'd let them go. And when they first get out of the pen... It's one of the funniest. Uh, you've probably seen videos of this. You can YouTube it. I mean, they've got, but they, they frolic and jump and spin and fall and they just go crazy. They're just having, the, like, I'm free, right? You know, and like turn a bunch of junior hires over to elevated sports. It's wow, you know, it, it's just full of energy. And uh, the idea here is it's one of youth. It's one of exuberance. It's one of energy. Uh, the idea is that not only will our strength be renewed, okay? Uh, some of us, you know, know what that's like. Like, whoa, I'm tired. <laughs> and it's not just we're tired because of last night. We're tired. Life's tiring, right? And I can't do what I used to do. And I, I don't have the energy. You ever watch little kids go, man, I wish I had their energy, right? Just energize their bunny. Blah, blah, blah. And then you're the parent. I wish their battery would drop out, right? You know, kind of thing. Um, 
But it says our it says we will we will skip and jump and frolic with abandon. The idea is one of being restored, right? It will be back to ourselves. The idea is that not only our strength be renewed, but so will our mindset. That we will have this fresh mindset. We will frolic with joy. Okay? That's saying something for a whole bunch of white people. Okay? You didn't laugh. Okay. You guys are tired. Here we go. Right? I mean, we can, we can be pretty stiff sometimes. I got love. love right? I, can you manage us all frolicking? I mean, just put that in your... That, like I'm watching Kyle dance. Yeah, come on, Kyle. Here we go. Right? I mean... It, we don't tend to do that. And yet it says we will skip for joy. Just think about that. Skipping for joy. It's a great picture. Our new bodies will have an immense capacity to do so. That's what this is trying to say. If you want to explore this idea further, a C.S. Lewis, any of you ever read C.S. Lewis? You're right, fantastic. And if you've never read C.S. Lewis, you should. Uh, fantastic writer. But he has an amazing depiction of this in his book, The Great Divorce. I don't know if you've heard of that book before or not, but it describes a group of people that are on a bus going from hell to heaven and then describes the reactions of different people on the bus, especially when they arrive. And what you find out is what uh, energizes and is exciting and uh, just Spectacular for one person is terrible for another person. And the contrast of it, what he draws out, is that uh, people who don't love the Lord won't like heaven. But people who do love the Lord will love heaven. Right? And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's called The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis. I encourage you to go seek that out. Also in this, these verses, we have a, a, a very startling picture that is sobering. Uh, if you've ever been in a fire or been through a fire uh, in uh, Wisconsin, we used to do what we call burn the hayfields. Okay? Some of you from the Midwest would recognize that. And you literally set the fields on fire. It burned the entire field. And, uh, and then you would go walking through the field just to make sure all the fire's out. And when you walked through the field, you would step and it would just be this puff of ashes. You couldn't hear it, but you could see it. Just, you step and just just this poof. And that's what is being described here, uh, that there will be nothing left of the wicked but ashes. And again, Malachi is trying to describe this idea. Uh, if you can think of that picture I gave you of just stepping, and uh, if you've ever been a forest art, right, just, there's just ashes there. Malachi, is, this is the same idea Malachi is talking about here. When you step in an area like that, nothing but a puff of ash rises from where you step, and that's all that will be left of the wicked, which is ashes. So when it finally becomes time for the Lord to act in what is known as the day of the Lord, uh, that's why the Bible talks about it in such ultimate tones, in such ultimate terms, why it puts it in such... Uh, contrast and says that's the day you look at that's the day you prepare for you measure everything else in accordance with that and it even says for us as believers that our inheritance will be measured that way Uh, look in first corinthians chapter three the foundation is jesus and everything else that's built on that is built on top of jesus and then that goes through a fire and there'll be golds 
silver and precious stones, and then there'll be wood, hay, and straw. And it says the fire will test everyone's work. Okay, how well is wood, hay, and straw going to hold up? Right? But gold, silver, and precious stones actually become brighter in the fire. It's the picture that Malachi is trying to put together. So for those who fear the Lord, for those who held him in high esteem, for those who had written their commitment down in a book of remembrance, Malachi now gives some instructions. He says this. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Now, we could really miss the point on this because, well, of course, duh. But we forget Israel's history, right? We take them all the way back, and if you go into Egypt and they had the, the ten plagues and they saw the incredible and miraculous hand of God, of course, uh, finished with the Passover, Right? And then they went through the Dead Sea. Then they went through the wilderness 40 years and all those stories. And then they came across into the Promised Land. And then they came through the period of Joshua. And then the judges. And then it all kind of fell apart. And then you had the reigns of the kings, right? The greatest being David, right? And they came through the kings. Then all fell apart. And I ran out of stage. And then they ran into exile, right? And then they came back. So this, Malachi is talking to groups that's way down the tracks. Way down the tracks from the beginning when Moses first gave the law. And I, I want you to get the sense of it because by the, by the time of Malachi, they had most of the Old Testament. Most of the Old Testament was written coming out of the exile to chronicle and keep their history together. But Malachi points them back specifically to the first five books, uh, what is known as the Torah, Torah, otherwise known as the law. We know them as Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, your favorite quiet time material, right? Uh, but the thing I think is important to understand is that there's a lot of confusion at this point in Malachi. What to do? What, what do we do? We, we've turned to the Lord. Now what do we do? They had done what Malachi had asked them to do, but now what? And Malachi sends them right back to the beginning. Right back to Moses and right back to the giving of the law. Right back to Mount Sinai where the covenant God had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was ratified and they were declared God's people for God's purposes, for God's will, for all time. And this holds a really great lesson to us. What Malachi is saying is go back to the book. In baseball language, we call it going back to first base. Right? If you ever go to a Mariners game and, uh, or if you played baseball at all, if you hit a double... Let's say you're the next great Edgar Martinez and you hit a double. And if you ran across the pitcher's mound and go to second base, what would happen to you? You'd be out. And you go, oh, no, you protest. But I hit a double. I get to go to second. Yes, but to go to second, you have to first go to first. Okay? You can't get to second without going to first base. You have to go to first before you go to second. All right? And so what Malachi is saying is, hey, go back to first base. Go back to the beginning. Start with the most basic stuff. What's the most basic stuff? God gave you his word. Go back to reading his word and God will guide you out of his word. And this uh, is a really great starting point. I'm going to ask the guys if we could start distributing communion while we've finished up this last point. But uh, we're starting the year and uh, we're coming up to a new year, 2019. And a number of us have done really well this year. And uh, we, we didn't quite track it as well as I'd hoped, 
But a number of us actually uh, are going to finish and you've come up and said to me, I'm there, I'm there. Someone said to me just this week, I'm in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to make it. I'm going to get, for the first time in their life, they're going to read all the way through the Bible said, and it's spectacular. Steve, I never had any idea. I understand things now that I didn't, I didn't realize before. Thank you, Kevin. And so what we'd like to do is encourage you to go back to first base. That this would be a great year to read through the Bible. And we have four different plans that you could do it on. Uh, and here's how they work. The first one is just front to back. This is how I do it. Uh, January 1st, I start in Genesis 1, and I, I haul. Four chapters a day. If you do four chapters a day, you kind of finish in October. And what, which means you can miss some things and you're not dead in the water, right? And, and so just four chapters a day, and away you go. And I, I'm wired like that. I, I think I've read through the Bible like 35 times in 40 years. And so it's just something I do, and it's what keeps me alive. And if you wonder where I pull all this stuff out of my hat, that's how I get it, right? I just keep reading through it. Uh, another way that's really interesting is to read it chronologically. Some of us have never thought about the order of the Bible. How did it actually happen? Right? We think the books are in the order that they're in, and they're not. And so, like, whoa, I didn't realize that was when that happened, and that, that was tied to that. You're kidding me. And it's just, it opens your mind to, like, oh, my goodness, I, had, I didn't have the sequence figured out at all. And so the chronological way is a fascinating way to go through it and get the actual sequence of the events as they happen. It's particularly good for the Gospels. Right? You ever read the Gospel? How did that all happen again? We read it chronologically. You go, oh, that's how it, wow. That's how that three years rolled out. That's that's fantastic. Another way is the one-year Bible. And the one-year Bible takes, uh, some of you, uh, have a hard time getting through the Old Testament. So what they do is they kind to you and they give you some Old Testament and they give you some New Testament, right? <laughs> okay. So some vegetables and some dessert to, all together at the same time. And so you can read some of the old and some of the new in the course of the year. You go through it, uh, the whole thing. And uh, for some of us who are beginning, that sounds so overwhelming. We've quit before we've even started. Right? Here's a great way to do it. If you've never read at all, you've never read through, you've just pieced through certain parts and you're like, I've never read through the New Testament, you can read through the New Testament twice in a year, easily. Just going uh, on the plan that we have, uh, it's just a chapter or two a day, and you can read, if you read, I think it's two chapters a day, you get through the New Testament twice in a year. Right? So you'll have it down, you'll have read it twice, and when somebody pull some out, you go, that's not in the Bible. How do you know? Well, I just read it. Okay? So we want to encourage you, again, that we would be, you know, uh, the, in Malachi they talk about signing the book of remembrance. We have a book of remembrance. It's called the Bible. Okay? And as God's people, we need to pay attention to it. We need to be in it. And it doesn't matter how long we've known him. This is especially true for some of us think, man, I've known him for a long time. I got it down. I've taken it as far as it can go. I've plumbed the depths. I've gone as far as you can go. There's nothing left to be known. Not, okay? Not, not even close. Barely scratched it. I, I've read it now for 35 years, and though I'm watching friends nodding, I'm starting to wonder if I know anything. Seriously. I, I, when I was 20, I was pretty sure I had it all nailed down, and it was black and white, and I, I, I had it all figured out. And now I'm reading, and I'm going, I, wow. 
I don't know what that means. Okay? And it's not in a I'm dumb way. It's like there's a reality beyond that that I can't really grasp or scratch. And so I, I want to encourage you to think along that as we head into the year, uh, to do that together, that we would be a, a church of first base. We would be a church that goes back to the Word. Just like Malachi sent them back to the Word, we would go back to the Word. So let's wrap this up. He ends with this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. NIV would say with a curse. All right? There was an old logger guy that I knew and uh, he used to fly over land in a helicopter when they asked him to do a job. And he says, Steve, you can actually tell where the land is blessed and you can tell where the land is cursed. He says, because when, where the land is blessed, you find these luxuriant forests and you find Douglas fir and you find all these spruce trees and you find this really healthy forest. But where the land is cursed, it's, it's marshy and withered and blackberry bushes and it's just kind of nothing will grow there except the really nasty stuff. And he says, you can actually see that from the helicopter. And as we come to communion this morning, we just see here a bigger picture of God's heart. What's God after? The reconciliation of families. Parents' hearts turning towards their children and children's hearts turning back to their parents. Both parents and children have a responsibility in this. Notice it isn't one way or the other. God's wanting both to turn back towards them. Just think for a moment the ruptures in our land over the issues of family. Just think of the level of heartache that exists on that level. You don't have to go very far to run into it. You know, Christmas can be a source of incredible joy, right? The best holiday in the world. The coming of the Savior. We gather as families. The carols roll out. It's just fantastic. But it can also be a source of incredible pain. Right? If you've experienced significant rupture in your family, it can be a source of of terrible pain. Rupturing and curses instead of communion and joy. And so the question this morning is, what's my part? Are you the parent or are you the child? It doesn't really matter because we're both commanded to turn, to reconcile, to be right with the Lord and to be right with each other. And I can't think of a more beautiful picture to come into communion with or to end the book of Malachi with than communion. What had what has God laid on your heart, my heart, what has God laid on our hearts about reconciling with my family? God wants to reconcile with us and then have us reconcile with each other. That's the whole goal of it. That's the true intent and meaning of Christmas. That's why he came. Now, Do we live in perfect families? Nope. Are there ruptures here right this morning? Yep. 
What's the hope? That God will come and heal and reconcile things that we know are impossible to heal and reconcile. And it's with that hope that we come into communion. Jesus came and gave us this picture. It's, it's, we've done it, right? We know this so much. We click out before I even say it. But Jesus' body was broke so that others' bodies could be reconciled. He said, this, this is a symbol. This is of my body. Remember what happened to it. He says, when you come into communion, he says, eat this in memory of me. Then he takes the cup and he says, this is a symbol of my blood which will be shed for you. The blood of Jesus washes all sin if we will avail of it, if we will come to it. It will wash your sin. It will wash my sin. It will wash your parents' sin. It will wash your children's sin. He died for the sins. This was shed for the sins of the world. Jesus said, drink this in memory of me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and get ready to lead us in worship as we close out the service. As they're coming up, two things I think would be valuable. Number one, in the series on Malachi, what stood out to you? Has God talked to you anything specific He's pointed out in this series that you really need to take home with you? Right? Maybe it's one of those messages that you need to go back on and, and re-listen to it and just remind yourself that God had, what God had taught you. And the second thing is, this morning as we come to communion, look around your family, look around your neighborhood, look for chances to reconcile things. Look for places where you can act in a reconciling way. Who can you close the gap with? Who would God want you to reach out to? And just think about that redemptively, not in a punishing way. Think of it in a blessing way. Who can you be a blessing to during this Christmas season? You know, we, we did that last night, right? Those people can't help us. They can't give us anything. They don't know us. And yet we were the hands and feet of Jesus. Was that spectacular to be a part of that? Well, just keep that spirit going. Don't just make it an event. Make it a lifestyle. How can we act in a reconciling way in our neighborhoods, our families, those kind of things. Think that way. Let's pray together. Father, we, we lift that up to you. Thank you for the series on Malachi. It has been beyond good. And it has been uh, a delight to walk through that and to see your heart, to hear what was going on, and to be moved by it. Lord, move us. Help us. Lord, we seek to be cooperating with you. We pray that we can act in a reconciling way this Christmas season. And we thank you for everything we learned out of Malachi. And we pray that it not go for naught. We pray that you benefit, your kingdom benefits, that we're not just better people, but we're better sons and daughters. And we operate better because of what we went through. And we give that to you with great hope as we come into the Christmas season. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible privilege of serving you last night. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrificial generosity this uh, body of people has expressed to Juan and Clarice. Lord, thank you for 
just being a chance to, to be a part, to, to be a part of your team. And we bless you for it and give that to you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.